Testing, here we are. Good morning, Old North. So what Marty didn't say was that we are actually, as a pastoral staff, very concerned about Marty. And so we've decided to surround him with good young men to help him over these two-year periods, to help maybe grow him. Maybe that'll help and work in the long term. Good morning, everybody. I trust that you are here to dive into the Word of God, trusting in the sufficiency of the Word of God to correct us, to discipline us, to encourage us, to reprove us, to grow us together today. So today our text is going to be found in Matthew chapter 13, a familiar passage, one called the parable of the sower. You probably have read it or heard it numerous times, and it's always good for us as Christians to return to familiar stories from time to time to rehear them, to rethink the application of them. Ultimately, that we might honor God by the way in which we obey the truth taught in them. The parable of the sower, it's Matthew chapter 13. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 23 in our time this morning. I wonder if you have ever misheard an important instruction. Yeah, I see a lot of heads nodding. I wonder if you've ever misheard an important instruction to the point where you acted foolishly. Uh, Some giggles, yeah, some elbows to spouses, I see that, that's good. Or maybe it's not so much mishearing as it is selective hearing. Some of you in this room are diagnosed with that disease of selective hearing. Maybe not formally, but definitely informally. I read an article this week, it came across my, my news feed, so it grabbed my attention because the title of the article was... Men's selective hearing could actually be genuine. And I thought, well, I need to read that. I need to have the information in this article so that when my wife accuses me of selective hearing, I might indeed prove that it is a scientific reality for me and not something that I choose to do. And so I read it, and the article goes on to say that men typically will not hear or selectively hear their partner an average of 388 times a year. Some of you are right now looking at your husbands and saying, that's it? (laughs) Seems so much more. Or an average of about seven times a week that occurs. Mishearing, not thinking. The rest of of the article went on to say, by the way, uh, and it was not nearly as interesting as I thought it would be, the article went on to say that the reason men only hear selectively is because potentially they are losing their hearing. You think? So, (laughs) you don't need to read it now. I gave you the whole thing. It can be a dangerous thing to not hear the whole message. It can be a dangerous thing to only hear selectively. It can be a, a very dangerous thing to be given instruction and only hear part of that truth and then operate off of that part that you heard or did not hear. Yet, sadly, that's where many of us find ourselves when it comes to the things of God. We selectively hear those teachings of Christ disposing those things that we don't necessarily think are applicable and applying those things that we want to hear and apply. And so we miss much of what is being said, and in turn we miss much of how we are to live in obedience to what is being said. As we look at today's text, I want you to notice that Christ has a phrase that should be something we listen to frequently and respond and replay in our ears over and over again. And that phrase is, he who has ears let him hear. If you have ears, hear the words of Christ today. 
as we read his text. In hearing his words, all of them, not just what you want to hear, our soul will be enlivened, our soul will be corrected, and ultimately our soul will partake of the life of the words of Jesus Christ. Likewise, if we fail to hear the words of Jesus Christ, if we fail to hear his entire message, if we fail to take to heart that which he is saying, then we remain in our sin. Significant issues with not hearing. So let's read today. Matthew chapter 13. We're just going to start by reading verses 1 through verse 18. Spend a little bit of time thinking through those parts and then moving on. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and he sat down. And the whole crowd stood, at the, stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and for your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and many righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and long to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. If you have ears to hear, Hear what Christ says today. The parable of the sower here, Christ has a large gathering of people around him desiring to hear and see what he says and does next. He des- they desire to be a part of the mystery of this man they see. They know something is happening with Jesus Christ and they want to be a part of it. And so he be- proceeds to teach them, tell them stories. Parables are a common form of communication at this point in time. Still are, by the way. We tell stories to relay truths. And his disciples had a bit of an issue with his parable. And they asked him, why do you teach in parables? And their question really wasn't centered on the reality of Christ using parables to relay these truths. Their question was, why aren't you explaining the parable to these people? Why aren't you telling this story and then explaining what this story means? And really what we need to understand today is many of us experience the same reality as the crowd here when we hear the word of God taught. For the parables that Christ was teaching served two purposes. 
The first is they served the purpose of concealing the message of the gospel from those who do not want to hear it. See, the meaning of Christ's words would be concealed from those who do not receive him. And Christ quotes Isaiah and emphasizes that it is fulfilling prophecy for people to hear the words and to see the miracles but not respond to them. They were hearing only what they wanted to hear and they were seeing only what they wanted to see, but it was not entering into their hearts lest they should change. We see that in turn in that Christ would heal them. In Isaiah, the passage that Christ quotes, Isaiah is offering judgment upon people who refused to actually hear the words of God. There's a difference between listening and a difference between hearing. And this is the reality that Christ is pointing to today. And so as he shared the story of the sower, many of the people who were there that day, the crowd, simply thought that he was giving a good illustration on farming and thought that Christ was helping them understand how to plant their crops not understanding that there is so much more occurring in front of them. And so these people, these crowds, would oftentimes come and hear Christ teach. They would hear the parables. They would not engage them more than what was being said, and they would walk away mesmerized by the next thing, desirous of whatever was in front of them. And so the parables served to conceal. But the parables also served to reveal Notice that Christ would explain the parables to those who actually were seeking and desiring to trust in his grace. This is why he spent time with his disciples. This is why his spirit is active in our hearts as we read the word of God today. As we genuinely pursue Christ and open our hearts to receive him, he speaks and clarifies the points of his word to us. And we have the experience that so many of us in this room are familiar with, that when the word of God is taught, there is an illumination that occurs within our hearts. There is truths that touch us, that anchor us. There are truths that build within us. We have a posture now of belief in the work of Jesus Christ, and that grows. And so the purpose of the parables was to cause those who were seeking Christ to find Christ. And the purpose of the parables for those who were not seeking was to simply cause maybe them to wonder what they were missing. The reality of Christ's words were that they were not mere words of conversion, conversation. They were not mere words of conversation. They were words of conversion. And so the parable served to clarify why people were listening. So I ask you this question today. Why are you listening? Why are you listening to the words today? And maybe even a deeper question, are you listening? Do you desire to hear? Do you desire to obey? Do you desire the Spirit of God to settle within your heart and enliven this word that is being read and taught to you today? Or are you hopeful that I end in sub-20-minute sermon so that you can get out of here early? My prayer is that you are seeking the one who gives life this morning. And really, that's the purpose of this parable. The purpose of this parable is that you and I would see the power of the word of God and that we would see that as the gospel is spread, as you look at this parable of the sower, that we would see the power of the gospel as it is spread. And we would see that there are obstacles to the gospel producing fruit in both individual lives and in communities. And so I think we need to look at the rest of the parable now in order to hear the explanation so that we might indeed begin to apply that which we are 
reading and seeing this morning. So let's look, verses 18 through 23, to the explanation that Christ gives us regarding this parable. Christ says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what has been sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown on thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And so it proves unfruitful. As for the one that was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So I think we need to begin to think through this passage, not so much focusing on the soil to start off with, but focusing on the power and the presence of the seed being thrown. The seed, as we know, is the gospel. The seed is the power of the word of God. The seed is the truth of the gospel being given out by those who have the truth of the gospel. Who has the truth of the gospel? You and I who profess faith in Jesus Christ. You have been moved by the gospel. Your heart has been refreshed by it. You walk your daily life carrying the seed of the gospel with you. And so what I want us to see here is that the gospel is a powerful thing. Notice the sower, the farmer. What does he do as he walks? He sows the seed with liberality. There is no choosing on where he will place it and where he will not. He sows it liberally, knowing that the power lies not so much in the soil, but in the power of the seed. It was an act of liberal tossing of the seed, knowing full well that as the seed would land, fruit would be produced, for the seed is effective. Think about that. Paul's proclamation throughout Romans, his desire that the gospel be taught. And he says in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 15, that those who go proclaiming the gospel have beautiful feet. (laughs) They are beautiful people who value the word to the extent that they share the word, that they view the purpose of their days with the intent of how I can indeed sow the seed that Jesus Christ has given me. And so we must indeed be active in that regard. Notice, though, that the seed is powerful. What does the seed do in this passage? The seed transforms the environment where it is thrown. Where there was once nothing, there is now something. Where there was once dirt, there is now life. Where there was once empty and open space, that space is now filled with life-producing greenery that produces even more life. And that transformation that occurred is not because of the one tossing the seed. That transformation that occurs is because of the power of the seed. The word of God is a powerful thing, isn't it? Romans 1, chapter 1, verse 16, the Apostle Paul, as he begins his letter to the church in Rome, kind of sets the tone for the whole book of Romans, and he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Do you know this passage? I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why am I not ashamed of the gospel? For it is the power of salvation for all who believe. The gospel seed is a powerfully transforming thing within us and as we share it around us. 
The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah says, Is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces? So often, we think we are not the ones to toss the seed of the gospel. So often, many of us in this room believe that there should be someone else more qualified to spread the gospel, to toss the seed. And so we kind of hold on to it. We keep it to ourselves. We think, I can't speak well. I don't know all the truth of the gospel. I'm going to mess it all up. And so we don't toss the seed. Remember, it is not you that's important. It is the seed being sown that is important. One January night in 1850, a strong snowstorm caused a miserable young man to make his way down an alley to a church. He had to take the alley because the main road was clogged with snow, and so he went to cut through the alley to head to his church. He had woken up that morning, miserable, as I said, because he was feeling in his heart that he, something needed a change, and so he decided on this particular snowy day in January to wake up and go to church. And as he went to the only church that he knew and he was trying to get there, he had to take a detour because of the amount of snow and the weather that was coming down. And in the alley he saw a small church and he thought, well, I'll step in here while the snow hits hard and I'll wait till it passes and I will get a little bit of warmth. And so he stepped into this church in the alley. And as he came in and he sat down, he heard a preacher preaching. And as the young man reflected later on in his life, he remarked how horrible this preacher was. How this man mispronounced words, how he stumbled over himself in the pulpit, how he made a general mess of the whole sermon. And the young man remembers very simply what he said, though. And the young man quoted him, and he says, My dear friends, this is the preacher preaching. This is a simple text indeed. It says, Look, now look and don't take a great deal of pains. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger, it's just look. Well, a man needn't go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. A man needn't be worth a thousand a year to be able to look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. But these texts says, look unto me. I, he said in a broad Essex language, uh, vernacular, many on ye are looking to yourselves, but it's no use. You'll never find any comfort in yourselves. Some look to God the Father. No, look to Jesus Christ. Jesus says, look to me. Some on ye say we must wait for the Spirit's working. You have no business with that just now. Look to Jesus Christ. The text says, look unto me. <laughs> so the young man said, in the midst of that mess, he said, I saw Jesus. I saw Christ. I saw the path of salvation. He said he turned and left and began his journey home and thinking along the way as every snowflake hit his face, it was the gospel landing upon him at that point, inviting him to surrender and follow him. And so as he walked home, those snowflakes landing on his face, that young man became a Christian. Not because of the beautiful words preached by that preacher. He made a mess of the whole thing. But because of the power of the gospel. That young man, by the way, grew into a man whose life led thousands of men and women to faith. He's called the preacher's preacher, Charles Spurgeon. And Charles Spurgeon never knew the name of that man, of that preacher. And that wasn't what was important. 
It is about the seed being sown. So in this parable of the sower, we need to pay attention to the power of the seed being sown. And then our role as those who have the seed to toss it. The parable goes on though. And the parable's purpose then changes a bit to emphasize the reality that as the seed is sown, there will be obstacles to those who receive the seed. And it's not just those who receive the seed. These obstacles are present for those of us who have received the seed and are maturing in our faith. These are things that can occur to us as we grow in our faith. And so let's spend a few moments here to look at the obstacles that Christ highlights. Obstacle number one in verse 19. We see here a hardened heart, a hardened soil on the path where the seed lands and does not settle in. This soil is hardened because of the people walking on it. This soil represents a hardened heart. And the heart is hardened, the soil is hardened, not because of any deficiency in the message, but because of the hard-heartedness towards the things of God. And so because of the hard-heartedness that we have, the seed of the gospel sits upon the surface of our heart. And what happens? It is exposed for the evil one to come and take away. There is a very real spiritual warfare element occurring in this room right now. Some of you will be hearing the gospel message and will not want to surrender to it. You will stand up against it. And so the seed of the gospel will settle on the outside of your heart. And the devil will be active to cause you to not think on it. Understand that the distractions that occur within your mind as you hear the gospel is no accident. And so those of us who have a hard heart... We cannot hear because we are stiff-necked. We are unconcerned with the things of God. We are one who says maybe even there is no God. We are someone who is self-sufficient, who is self-satisfied, who is ultimately self-righteous. We have been, in the words of Paul, blinded by the God of this world to the things of Almighty God. So some of us in this room today have yet to surrender to the gospel because we do refuse to have our hearts softened. The second obstacle in 13 verse 20. The shallow soil filled with rocks. And what this represents is someone who hears partially the gospel. You'll notice here in this partial hearing, there's an excitement for what is heard initially. There's a quick response and it appears as if the gospel has enlivened this person. There's been an eager anticipation of the gospel, it seems. And so for a time... There is growth, but it's just partial acceptance of the gospel. The gospel that is heard is a gospel of blessings minus the cost. Minus the cost of repentance, minus the cost of dying to self, minus the cost of turning from the old life and repenting and living in the new life that Christ graciously gives. And so, those points do not want to be heard by the one with the shallow soil and the reality of their experience with the things of the gospel is that their feelings have been changed but their soul has not you've had a religious experience but as all experiences go they pass the gospel has not penetrated his heart just the edge of his mind and so how do we know if we are in this state when affliction and persecution come we wither. Now I want you to note here, what is at the root of this affliction and persecution? 
the word. When the cost of discipleship becomes too high, when the things that Christ is asking of us become too much for us to be willing to do, we wither. That's evidence of a shallow heart. That's evidence of shallow, rocky soil. The third obstacle, the third type of soil that is mentioned here, is found in verse 22. This is the soil that is littered with thorns. And this soil represents those of us in this room who have a distractive, distracted living approach towards life and towards our engagement with the gospel. Christ says that this soil is infested with thorns, and this represents the man who hears the word but is too worldly for the seed of the word to take root within him. He is first and foremost one who loves the things of this world and is blinded by the things of this world's inability to give true life and fruitfulness. And all the while, we are attempting to live a love for the gospel and a love for the world, not understanding that the love for the world is actually strangling the life of the gospel within us. Now I want you to notice there are two specific things that Christ speaks of with regards to the world and how the world strangles the gospel life within us. Number one, the cares of the world, the anxieties and worries of this world, the fixation on the here and now, the reality of attempting to get and keep those things that you want, the worry about losing those things that we have, not only physical possessions, but loved ones and so on and so forth. We are tied to this world. We are married to this world. Our minds are fixated on this world. And so as we are fixated here, the thorns of worldliness strangle the life of the gospel within us. Friends, Paul says in Colossians that those of us who are followers of Christ should have our minds set upon the things that are above, not on the things of the earth. There is no dual citizenship for the Christian. We are here on temporary visas. And so our citizenship is found in heaven. Now, as we live on this earth, we live well, we care for all that God has given us, but we prayerfully keep our minds and affections on the true and eternal thing, eternal things. And if we are not careful, the care for the things of this world will strangle the life of the gospel within us. The second thing that he highlights here that will choke the word within us is the deceitfulness of riches. How do riches lie to us? Well, riches lie to us on multiple levels. They lie that by having more, you will be able to have comfort. By having more, you will have control. By having more, you will find hope and meaning and contentment in life. The lie of riches is that they are an answer. Money is not an issue. Money in and of itself is not evil. But money becomes evil when you seek money to solve the issues of your heart. And the thing is, as we pursue money as the answer to our heart, our heart is starving, being strangled out by the pursuit of riches. These are the obstacles to the gospel being sown. These are the obstacles to the gospel being realized. These are the obstacles, even for those of us who walk as Christians, to being fruitful for Christ. Some of you have a hardened heart. Some of us might have a heart that is full of rocks and shallow. We have yet to surrender to the cost that Christ is calling us to surrender to. 
Some of us in this room are being strangled by the cares and the deceitfulness of this world. And so we've yet to be fruitful. And so then the question that we come to as we conclude this morning is this. What is the soil that produces the life of the gospel? And then right attached to it, how do we get that soil? My prayer for us today is that at this point you are asking that very question. That you are asking the question, how is it that I can then live a life of fruitful production for the gospel? How is it that I can live a life where the gospel life resides within me and wells up within me and grows over time? And Christ, as only he can say, says in verse 23 that there is such a thing as good soil. There is such a thing as softened soil. There is such a thing as receptive soil. And my question for myself and you today is this, how does that soil become softened? Can hardened soil soften itself? The answer is no. Anytime that soil is softened or prepared to be planted in, it is always an outside-in experience. It is always someone softening the soil, someone taking out the, the things in the soil that should not be there. And so it is with the message of the gospel. We cannot prepare our hearts to such a fashion that we are completely minus the thorns, the rocks. That is a work that is done by Jesus Christ within us. And praise be to God, because any one of us who have ever tried to remove the vines, roots, and rocks on our own strength know that they come back with a vicious strength. We do not have the capability to remove these things on our own. Our experience in attempting to remove the rocks, stones, thorns, mirrors what Paul says in Romans chapter 7. Some of you might know this passage and you might live this passage out. I do for certain. Paul says in Romans chapter 7 verse 15, I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want to do. But I do the very thing I hate. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil that I do not want to do, I keep on doing. How many of you identify with that? Yeah, don't be afraid, all right? This is the common experience, and it's because we cannot turn the soil of our own heart. That has to be done by the Spirit. What do we do, though? When we proclaim what Paul proclaimed at the end of that whole passage in Romans 7, he says, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. By the way, Paul calls himself a wretched man right before that. And some of us in this room today say, oh, my heart is thorny. It is full of rocks. I'm shallow. What a wretched man am I. I cannot be made healthy. And you're right in that. But guess what? It's a beautiful reality that God is the farmer. God is the one who sows up and breaks the soil of your heart and heart. He removes those things that strangle the life out of the gospel within us. What is the one thing that we can do? We can respond to him as he breaks up the soil of our heart. The promise in Ezekiel is so beautiful. Ezekiel 11 verse 19, God says to his people, And I will give them one heart, and a new spirit I will put within them, and I will remove their heart of stone from their flesh, and I will give them a heart of flesh. 
So as you respond, and as the soil of your heart is turned over, notice what happens within us. You will hear the word. You will love the word. It will grow within you. You will understand the word, which understanding means not mere mental assent, but an internalization of it that results in an active obedience to it. And that will result in a production of fruit. Now look at the numbers that Christ puts out here. A hundredfold, 60, and 30. I do not want you to get into the habit of measuring your production. And that's not the intent here. Christ puts out those numbers merely to show the radical production that occurs within someone who responds to the Spirit within their heart. The typical yields of seeds of planting seeds was seven or eight times. And he's saying 30, 60, 100. Radical production as a result of good soil responding to the good and powerful seed. And so I wonder this morning, I wonder, as you look at your life following Christ, is there fruitfulness? Hear me. As you look at your life following Christ, is there fruitfulness? If not, there are two potential realities for that. The first is perhaps you have yet to respond to the seed of the gospel. Perhaps your heart has been hardened all these years. And so the gospel has been presented to you, but you've not heard it. You refuse to hear it. Your heart is hardened. My prayer for you today is that that still small voice that is speaking within you, that sense of discomfort that you feel right now, you would not misinterpret as anything other than the Spirit of God calling you to salvation. And I proclaim to you today that Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will indeed be saved. So please, if you hear him today, do not harden your heart. The other reason for fruitlessness is perhaps you have become prey to the things of this world. Perhaps you only hear part of the gospel, the things that you want. You're not fully willing to, con to give God your life. You're not fully willing to surrender to him. Perhaps you are following the things of this world with more attachment than you are the things of God. So I call upon you today, Christian, be bold enough to trust Christ today. Be bold enough to give him all of your being. Be bold enough to see that the value of your days are counted as you produce fruit for Jesus Christ. And so people, I close with the statement that I began with. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time surrounded by your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would do good work in our hearts this morning. I praise you, Father, for your faithfulness, that as the word is proclaimed, you will indeed work and till and soften the soil of those who receive it. And so I pray that in this room this morning, hearts will be softened. Lord, may we proclaim that you are Jesus Christ, our Savior, that we will proclaim that you are the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other. And so, Lord, have your way in our hearts this day Create within us a spirit of repentance. Create within us a spirit of obedience. Lord, that our lives might indeed reflect your beauty and your glory. Thank you for Jesus Christ, in whom we have the complete and total remission of our sins, in whom we 
who by we now have relationship with you, Almighty God. We pray these things in his name. Amen.